Hey everyone, it's Alan Schimmel, DevOps.com, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat. Happy to be joined by Jason McGee today, who's from IBM. Jason is an IBM fellow, in addition to being VP and CTO of IBM uh, Cloud. Jason, welcome. Thanks, Alan. Good to be here. So, Jason, you know, I've always wanted to ask this, and, and I'm, I bet our audience is curious too. How does one become an IBM fellow? <laughs> Years of torture. Uh, <laughs> and so, so IBM, for those, I guess, who don't know, IBM fellow is kind of the, the top technical position within IBM, and it's essentially, um, you know, uh, years of technical contribution across a variety of projects. You know, one of the things that's interesting about kind of t senior technical positions at IBM is that um, you have to get the buy-in of your peers. You know, like mm -hmm. part of becoming an IBM fellow is um, is building a network of, of peers within the company and kind of getting their buy-in that you're making that level of contribution. So it's a it's a nice validation of uh, of a career of contribution. You want to know the truth, all kidding aside, it's a tremendous honor to, yeah. and, and the fact that your peers are involved even make it more sweet. So yeah, congratulations on that. Just one other silly question on that. So I've spoken to like Rosalind Radcliffe and some of yep. the other folks who are distinguished engineers. Yeah. In the hierarchy, is this like a major to a colonel? Where's fellow to distinguished engineer? <laughs> yeah, so a distinguished engineer is one level below fellow, essentially. So um, distinguished engineer is the first kind of executive level technical position in IBM, and then fellow is uh, a smaller, uh, much smaller group above that. Got it. Hey, thanks for clearing that up for us. I bet yeah. there's a lot of people out there shaking their heads right now saying, oh, now I understand. But um, <laughs> for all these titles anyway. around and no one knows what they mean. So Exactly. Well, it's still an honor, though, so congratulations. So, Jason, you're joining us today. You're out at the Cloud Foundry event, correct? Right, yeah. And um, IBM announced some, some news this week at Cloud Foundry. Yeah. You want to fill in the audience? Sure. So, you know, so we, we've been part of Cloud Foundry for uh, its whole life, essentially, for yep. five, five plus years. And, um, you know, one of the things that we at IBM have really been pushing on in the last couple of years is tighter alignment between the Cloud Foundry community and the broader kind of Kubernetes and container community. Um, you know, we think as we have looked at how application developers are building apps, they're actually using a blend of these approaches. You know, they're using Cloud Foundry for some things and they're using more general purpose containers for others. And so um, last year we, we kicked off a project in the community along with SUSE and SAP and some others uh, called Irene. So it's a sub project of Cloud Foundry. And the goal of Irene is to allow you to run Cloud Foundry on top of Kubernetes, right? To make the kind of back end of, of um, Cloud Foundry pluggable. And so this week at the conference, like we're kind of launching that, uh, both as a project um, in the community uh, and at IBM, we're making that available on our cloud. So customers can kind of easily create uh, combined Cloud Foundry Cube environments. Excellent. So I just want to make sure, because in case anyone wants to look this up, how do you spell Irene? It's uh, E-I-R-I-N-I. E-I-R-I-N-I. Um, e -I -R -I -N -I. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it is with open source communities these days and crazy project names, but yeah, well, you know, there's there's no lack of open source projects, and I guess, but but as long as people can spell it, we're good. So I want to make sure I heard you right. Cloud Foundry sits on top of Kubernetes. Yeah, 
So if you think about Cloud Foundry, like the, the part of Cloud Foundry that most people kind of, I don't know, recognize or relate to the most is the front end of Cloud Foundry. Like I can CF push an application to the cloud and just run it, right? That's, think of that as the developer experience. And we love that part of Cloud Foundry. It's, it's easy, it's high productivity, it allows developers to stay really focused. Um, on the kind of process of creating their application and not the process of managing environments. But the back half of Cloud Foundry has always been essentially a container orchestration system. Like it has to take all those CF pushed apps and run them on a bunch of machines and keep them up and route traffic to them and all that, which is fundamentally the same thing that Kubernetes does, right? Yeah. And there's been a project in Cloud Foundry called Diego um, that does that, and the goal of Irene is to kind of make the line between that front and back sections pluggable so that we can use Kubernetes instead of Diego to run the containers. Mm, that, that, now I see said the blind map. I get it, I get yeah. it now. Yeah, and so then you get kind of one environment, right? And you can mix apps together and you can secure it once and all those things. Absolutely, well, it, it, it's also, you know, I, I was talking to a developer friend of mine uh, earlier this week, Jason, and, and he made a, a comment that really kind of the world is dividing up into those people who just want to play with their apps, right? They, they sit on top of this stuff. They only care about the app. They're going to code and run yep. the best app they can make. And then there's another world that sits below that, that worries about what is the infrastructure? Is it Cloud Foundry? Is it Cube? Is it hypervisor cloud, private, public, whatever? And, and he foresees a day in the not distant future where the guy who plays with the app really almost has no, doesn't care yeah. about everything else. Yeah. Because that's, you know, that with APIs and everything else, we're just, he's just going to say, or not only he, Right, the app is just going to sit on top of it, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, yep. You see that? Do you foresee that as well? Or absolutely. I mean, I think. Look, um, you know, my personal history is I'm uh, I'm an old Java uh, app server guy. You know, I was the the chief architect for WebSphere app server back in the day, and mm -hmm. the problem we were solving 20 years ago is kind of fundamentally the same. You know, like how do we build a platform that abstracts the application developer from the infrastructure mm -hmm. in a way that they can be effective in application development across a variety of infrastructures? And we're doing that again in the cloud era and Kubernetes has really become that abstraction layer, right? And, and what I've seen over the last three or four years is we kind of all agree with that idea, but we've been building three stacks. You know, we've been building the Kubernetes stack, which kind of can run anything. We've been building the Cloud Foundry stack, which has an opinion about how you write apps. And as long mm -hmm. as you fit the opinion, it's high productivity. And then you have serverless and functions, which is another view of kind of event-oriented computing. And they were all three completely different technical platforms. And what I've been trying to make happen, and what IBM's been working on is, well, how do we bring those all together? Kubernetes at the base, you know, Istio for routing, Cloud Foundry for high productivity development, like serverless for events, put that all together into one thing. Then the developer on the top can just focus on writing their app in right. the most effective way possible. And the guys who have to run the platform have one platform that they can run and operate across any environment. Right? That's where I think we're going. And I don't think we're very far from it. 
developer nirvana. Um, I'm sure we'll come up with something else to fix later. But uh, there are, you know what, Jason? I just listened to you talk about WebSphere. I'm, I'm thrown back to. So I, I helped put together a company called Interliant back in the uh-huh. dot coms. And we were an early what they called ASP. Mm-hmm. And our big thing is we were offering hosted Lotus Notes. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, great. It's right. So this is before <laughs> that was Web a big Square. business. That was a big business back then. It, well, it was us and IBM, and, and we yeah. had some had some really big clients. But keep in mind, there's no hypervisor to speak of. There's no cloud as we, we talk right. about. Right, as we think of it today, right? So standing up instances, our ops guys had pliers and screwdrivers because they had a rack mount servers. That's right. right? <laughs> we, um, we, had, we had a bunch of Dell equipment. We had Sun. We had IBM. We had all kinds of in our data centers. So, you know, you think back. So that's only about 25 years ago. Right. And, and, and where it is now. But what you're describing now pretty much kind of describes the IBM cloud. Yeah. yeah. Sure, absolutely. I mean, then you, you add a you add a public cloud lens on that, and it's like, how do we deliver that full platform as a service so that developers don't have to worry about running any of it themselves mm-hmm. and they can consume? And then we're also trying to deliver that in a private cloud kind of software form factor for enterprises who need to put it in their data center or put it. You know, you know, we work with. Uh, Global shipping company, they need to put it in their terminals. You know, they're not, you know, they need compute in the terminal. They have central compute in the cloud. They want a consistent platform. So part of our goal has been build that stack, make it available in the cloud so that, that you know, we can kind of build the next 20 years of applications on top of it. Absolutely. So, you know, we live in a world where the developers kind of been the um, top of the food chain, alpha predator, right? And, and, and this kind of environment that you're describing, to me anyway, it, it fosters that, it continues that, right? Where, you know, all hail the developer, let's just get all this other stuff out of his way so he or she can focus on on app building. But we shouldn't trivialize what it takes to put up and keep up and maintain Absolutely. Absolutely. this kind of environment, right? I agree with you. Right, and so I don't care whether you want to call them SREs or new ops people or or ops or admins, whatever. It, it that's still a vital role, right? Even with yeah. people yeah. like IBM who are who are kind of giving you the platform. Yeah, right? I, you, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think you people sometimes underestimate the skill that's required to do that. Yeah. And, you know, these are new technologies, so like there's not. In the grand scheme of things, there's not that much skill in the world. It's no. hard to acquire, and it does well, take. It's still also more not more art than science, but there's a lot of art mixed in with that science, right? Yeah, the I agree. The end to end kind of full operational spectrum, you know, things like Kubernetes certainly make it possible. I'm mean, going to give you a stat from my own team. You know, my my team at IBM runs Kubernetes as a service on mm-hmm. the IBM cloud. We manage over fourteen thousand kube clusters. with a 29 person SRE team and there's no way you could run you know that much infrastructure with that small a team without some of the concepts that exist like we actually use Kubernetes to run Kubernetes right there's still a lot of SRE work to kind of keep that up put the system together make it compliant make it secure scale it like yeah there's absolutely still a role for that 
uh, you know, part of what I think is happening though is that we can actually do some of the stuff in a much more consistent way than we ever could in the past. You know, like whether you're on IBM or you're on somebody else's cloud or in your data center, you can kind of solve the problems mostly the same way. Right. Absolutely. I want to talk to you a little bit about Kubernetes as a managed service. Yeah. You, you know, you said you, you mentioned it. So, you know, I was on a podcast, I guess it was last week or talking with some folks last week. And they were saying that, you know, for the overwhelming majority of enterprises, not SMBs, enterprises, mm -hmm. Kubernetes is still too hard where running it as a Kubernetes as a service, right, from an IBM or, or another provider. Another provider, yeah. Is just it just makes too much sense still at this point that it's just it's too hard to run Kubernetes by yourself, if you yeah. will, without yeah. you know, an IBM. Yeah. What do you think? You think that that A is that an accurate representation of where we are today? And B, does that change or does that get amplified? So I, I do think there's truth to it. Um, not necessarily because there's some you know, flaw or, or immaturity in Kubernetes more because it really changes how you do operations. And so like the, the process change, the kind of mindset change that goes with using Kubernetes is quite a bit different than how they run today. And I don't, and I also think, you know, we say Kubernetes, but we usually really mean the ecosystem of stuff around Kubernetes is more than just Kubernetes. You're right. Like, those projects are all changing incredibly rapidly. You know, like in my service, we support uh, two versions back of Kubernetes, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever the current version is, plus two back. But that's still only like nine months. Yeah. Like three back is basically like a year. So like you have a year to like move up to the right, But also keep in mind that three back a year ago is Kubernetes 1.0, right? Yeah, exactly, right. Like this whole thing is only three years old or something. Exactly. So, um, so like that pace of change, I think is really hard for them. Um, the technical skill is not there yet. And so, yeah, a managed provider is a great option, I think for a lot of people. And in fact, I have clients who started their journey with Kubernetes running it themselves. So just taking upstream open source code, running it on cloud infrastructure. And we're actually quite good at it. I mean, like I, I have a customer who did that and they were, they were being successful at it. But even the successful ones at some point kind of go, well, the goal of my team is not to run a platform. The goal of my team is to build applications for my company. Why am I spending all this time running the platform, right? And so, you know, switching to an as-a-service delivery model is, I think, uh, I, it's really where I think most people should start. And then they can decide whether they have a use case that really requires them to run it someplace where they can't get that managed offering, right? Sure. Sure. Um, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think there'll always be a place for the Kubernetes as a managed service. Yeah, I do right? too. I mean, because it is, it, there's a lot of knowledge tied up there. You know, one of the things I learned back in the interline days when we were doing Lotus Notes hosting, Jason, yeah. is if something is core and critical to your business, you don't outsource it. Sure. But if something's either core or critical, but not both, it could, it, you know, it's a, it's a candidate for outsourcing. And of course, if it's not core or critical, it should absolutely be outsourced. Yeah. Sure. Right? sure. And, yeah. um, and I think that that's where this, 
this 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 comes in here. So besides the IBM announcement, Jason, what uh, any other exciting news that got your attention at Cloud Foundry? Um, uh, no, no, because that that Irene thing is really a community thing, and I think it was the big theme. I mean, there's there's a couple of other integrations that are also happening. So I think the the overriding theme of this particular CF Summit was kind of. The, the alignment of CF with other things in the container space. And Irene and Kubernetes was the heart of that. Lots of interesting discussions here about that. Um, not only from IBM, but from the other vendors and customers here. Um, but there's other projects like um, Istio. I don't know if you've heard of the Istio project. Mm -hmm. um, Istio is a project that IBM and Google created um, with Lyft. Uh, which is a service mesh. And so there's also conversation here about, well, how do we align service meshes with Cloud Foundry as well? And so, you know, it's all just facets of the same theme of like, we're going to build a cloud native stack as an industry and it's going to have Kube at the bottom, but there's all these other elements that we're putting into the picture. And the, the more we align, the more, you know, what I'm really actually excited about, like if you think about the Cloud Foundry community, you think about any open source community, there's a certain amount of kind of, work energy in that community, like a certain amount of work that can be done by whoever the current participants are in that community. And a significant portion of the energy of Cloud Foundry as a community has been spent building a container orchestrator, for example. Mm -hmm. And as you enable them to use Kube instead, all of that energy gets freed up to be applied to something else, right? And now that can be applied to better developer experience. You know, how do we make the languages more cloud native? And so that's what I'm kind of excited about is like, all right, what comes next? Now that we've kind of freed up the energy of something we were building two of, what new things can we go figure out together? And so well, there's some under the law of thermodynamics, energy never disappears. It just we move it from one one to the other, I guess, right? Exactly. exactly. So cloud foundry thermodynamics um, <laughs> or open source thermodynamics. Let's, just, let's ignore the second law of thermodynamics, though. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hey Jason, you know we're about out of time, but yeah. I wanted to first of all thanks for for being on today and, and right. sharing with us a little bit. Continued success with with the IBM Cloud platform and and all that's happening with uh, Cloud Foundry and so forth. Will you be at KubeCon maybe in Barcelona? Uh, of course, I will absolutely be there. Well, we'll be there. We're doing videos, so for those of you who are listening to Jason saying, "What does he look like?" Maybe stop in for a video and we'll we'll continue the conversation there. Sure, I'd love to connect, Alan. That'd be great. All right. Hey, Jason McGee, IBM Fellow, VP, CTO, IBM Cloud Platform, our guest on this DevOps chat. This is Alan Schimmel for DevOps.com. Have a great day, everyone.